like a contractual agreement for an um, arbitrary amount of seconds. Let's say that a surgeon wants to perform some surgery and they live in Berlin and the surgery is going to be performed in Delhi, New Delhi, why not? Yeah? We need to get bandwidth, but it is, for us it's kind of Boolean because either I have this QS reserved bandwidth with all that implies for five hours or nothing. It's just, don't even start. I mean, I need those five hours. You're listening to Ping, a podcast by Avenik discussing all things related to measuring the internet. I'm your host, Robbie Mitchell, and I'm again joined by your soon-to-be host, George Michelson. Hi, everyone. Thanks for including me, Robbie. Today, we're chatting with research engineer Juan Garcia Pardo about Calibri, a system that he and his colleagues at ETH Zurich have been developing on top of the next-generation internet architecture, Scion. If that name sounds familiar or doesn't, check out the links in the show notes to our discussion with Nicola Rustignoli in episode 18, as well as several posts on the APNIC blog we featured on both Scion and Calibri. Regarding the latter, Calibri seeks to take delivery guarantees, aka service level objectives, or quality of service, that is popular in the SDM world, and enable them in the open internet, something that would give service providers the ability to offer value-added services. Juan, thank you for joining us on Ping. Thank you very much, Robbie, for having me. It's a pleasure, Juan. So in Calibri, delivery guarantees are achieved through end-to-end bandwidth reservations, which ensure that all traffic below a certain rate is neither dropped nor buffered with high probability, irrespective of congestion on the path. Can you first explain what the concept of bandwidth reservation is and why it's piqued the interest of ISPs? So if we take an, as an example one of the ASs, it wouldn't matter which, which name we use, but it could be an ISP, for instance. Bandwidth reservation inside that SDN environment would be the practice of essentially orchestrating the nodes in that network. So certain packets, certain flows, certain traffic has priority over anything else for a period of time on a dedicated bandwidth, essentially. Whether that dedicated bandwidth is also reusable when it's not being used by the reservers by best effort traffic, for instance, that's another question. But that would typically be re- reused by best effort traffic. That that happens very frequently inside data centers, like backups can usually run as a best effort traffic after some other priority, after some other priority. And all that is, of course, orchestrated from the controllers in the SDN, given, for instance, a plan or a schedule that, that they know what's going to happen inside this network. So, for instance, they know that uh, they don't need to over-provision these reservations, things like that. That, that would be for an AES or a, or a small network. So for ISPs, that's definitely something that gives an extra value to them. At the beginning, could differentiate what they do. It's an, a premium service, maybe, that can be offered to customers. Definitely because some applications either don't work or just work so much better when they can rely on the QoS existence in the network. So uh, we're talking about, for instance, um, video conference or audio conferencing. That's a voice over IP. That's a typical example as well. It works so much better when you have QoS on top of it. And being able to talk from Zurich into Sydney, for instance, that, that's awesome if we can keep on with the assurance under contracts and so on that this is not going to break up. 
some of the applications are just just working better. Like uh, video streaming, they just work better if you have QS as well. You can click and the video starts reproducing directly. You don't have to wait for buffering or anything like that. As well for even just plain file transfer, it just works so much better because you don't have to back off trying to find out what is the bandwidth that I can use in my network. You exactly know what is the bandwidth that you, you can use. So that is very attractive to clients. And of course, yes, the ISPs just being a business, there is a void there that they can fill with their services. That's definitely some added value. The problem is that how to organize all that so that the core networks can work in, in unison with the ISPs as well, so that everybody at the very end is happy. Core network, ISPs, and also definitely customers. That would be the reason, I would say, to have QoS. It's just adding, adding value to something that is maybe needed or just working better that we don't have yet. So what you've described there sounds eerily familiar to some contentious concepts surrounding quality of service, in particular semantic routing and net neutrality. How does what Calibri is trying to achieve differ from these and still keep the internet open and secure for all? Maybe I'd like to start with the latter, uh, with the semantic routing, and just trying to make a difference on how Colibri and, and works, and actually because the substrate of Scion works also differently. So uh, in the sense of like Scion, and also Colibri allows the end user to select from a set of paths that were given by the AESs, all in transit. So the, the policies of those AESs will be respected. And if they decide not to have some valley routing or some, for whatever reason, some different policies, those will not be available to the end user. So that's the first thing. Because in, in that sense, the packet or the Colibri reservation and the data plane, it will be instructing the, the uh, essentially the routers and, and the equipment to do whatever they need to do to respect the contract. Yeah? So typically it would be just to have maybe a priority queue for those packets or whatever routing mechanism that they want to follow. But at the very end, what we would expect is that those packets are not dropped because they said we have a kilobit per second and we are sending up to a kilobit per second, so everything should be just working fine. That would be the difference in that regard to semantic routing. How Colibri or, or bandwidth reservation could um, live together, coexist with net neutrality, I'd say that this is uh, something that we only recently started to investigate, to research on this. So whatever I say now is not final. But we believe this is not going to be a problem with net neutrality. That's what we think. Essentially because in our three different planes that we have in Colibri, the data plane, the control plane, and the market plane, up to the point to the data plane, everything can be more or less anonymous. You can create, you being the bandwidth requester as an AES, you can create, whether you are a small ISP or a big ISP, whether your destination is a big destination or a small destination, as many tubes, as big as you want, as long as all transit AESs, of course, the destination AES as well, um, allow that to, to happen. We also have the concept in the market plane of being able to exchange those tubes or those reservations. Yeah? So we have the concept of a broker that takes the risk of getting those tubes for you and so on and so forth. That, um, being said before that this is right now under research and not, not final, we believe that uh, because of those two reasons, the first one, the anonymity and the, the ability of being able to transfer these tubes and the associativity of them and so on, we believe that neutrality could not be harmed in, in this regard using these techniques. And the capabilities of the Scion network give you this ability to not jeopardize net neutrality. Definitely. So also for Scion, um, 
internally the hub fields that we have, we call them the opaque fields. It's essentially because we don't know the IDs. We just those IDs were cryptographically signed beforehand, so the border routers know in real time they are valid, but they don't really know who created them or who requested. Sorry, who they they created them, but they don't know who requested them. So as long as the control plane was happy with that, the data plane will just work. I'd like to dive a little deeper into these planes that you've mentioned. Can you expand further first on the market plane? Where does this concept come from? And are you collaborating with other actors who would obviously be involved in the economics of routing to understand how it can overcome some of the associated challenges? That market plane originated from two different places. In my research, it originated from a problem of how to ensure for an end customer that they can have a um, end-to-end reservation, like a contractual agreement for uh, a um, arbitrary amount of seconds. Let's say that a surgeon wants to perform some surgery and they live in uh, Berlin and the surgery is going to be performed in, I don't know, in Delhi, New Delhi, why not? Yeah, We need to get bandwidth, but it is for us it's kind of Boolean because either I have this QS reserved bandwidth with all that implies for five hours or nothing. It's just don't even start. I mean, I need those five hours. Yeah. So that's very difficult because what is the granularity of the reservation? How does the control plane? This is also one of the reasons that uh, it's uh, a QS is difficult to do. Yeah. So we decided, right, this is very difficult to solve at the control plane level. What about we solve it at the economic level? So maybe five hours seem to be quite expensive because... It's a long time, yeah? So it's not going to be the same as asking for one hour and then one hour and then one hour or whatever like that. The contract is probably going to be more expensive to ensure that those continuous five hours uh, exist. So we decided, all right, um, let's bring that up to this economic plane. And then I was put in contact by uh, our director, uh, Adrian Perrick, that knows a lot, pretty much about everything. But I was put in contact also from people from the ITF that worked before in this economic software defined planes from uh, Ken Calvert in the University of Africa, somewhere in the US. And he had worked with the um, ESDX. So this is the economic defined plane for software. And we start to think about these things. And then we start with an approach to connectivity. We plan to follow up with this economic plane for the Colibri protocol in architecture. That would be the idea. So it should be able to bring both anonymity, as we have said before, for the control plane, as well as this capacity of letting the market say how expensive, how difficult it is what the client wants. It really is a multifaceted problem. So what about the data and control planes? Are they similar as to their SDN origins or do they have their own challenges? Some of the challenges are shared, I believe, but the main difficulty that I think we found with these two planes is uh, very particular to the realm of the open internet, to having multiple multiple owners, multiple managers of the networks, and uh, the sheer amount of end hosts that will be requesting bandwidth. So for that, for instance, let's walk from the top down, I would say. The control plane would prepare these tubes, these reservations that work essentially as the aggregation of the end-to-end reservations. Yeah? An end-to-end reservation is just a number of segments that are stitched together. Yeah? These segments could span a number of, of ASs. It could be one AS, it could be seven ASs. Depends on the traffic that they have and so on. And how they got the segments uh, or the small or the smaller tubes from the market as well. 
This control plane creates these segments that last for a number of minutes. They last for 20 minutes, and they are very coarse-grained. We're talking about megabytes per second and typically gigabytes per second, or gigabits per second, terabits per second. The idea is that those tubes are then used by multiple end-to-end reservations. Those also go through the control plane, and they are very, very quickly approved by the AESs, by the control plane, because the, the tubes were pre-approved before. So the fair share of, of the bandwidth is done at the control plane level, at the segment level, between AESs. And then what the control plane does when creating end-to-end reservations is just checking the stitching. And we have different algorithms to grant bandwidth depending on the uh, preferences, let's say, of the stitching point, the different AESs and so on. And then towards the very, very bottom, when we go to the um, data plane, what we need to do is being able to first monitor and second forward, definitely, a number of flows that <laughs> basically equal, uh, in the core network, basically equal the number of Cartesian product of end hosts, essentially. We have a tier one, then we have a million customers on one side against a million customers on another side, a number of reservations among them. So we have a billion, a billion different flows. And we do that with an approach that is very similar. So maybe we, we shouldn't talk about monitoring because that, that would take us quite a long time also in SLA enforcement. But we do that. That's also explained in, in a number of papers that we have published in the past. Using a difference between, for instance, elephant flows and uh, mice flows as well, things like that. And then deterministically following the flows that were probabilistically detected as elephant flows. And then we have another approaches where we don't even need to have elephant flows, but just we're able to monitor essentially any type of flows, not just huge elephant flows against smaller ones, but just any type of flow and detect violation of, of the um, maximum allowed bandwidth. So uh, that challenge, of course, is not it doesn't exist in uh, one ISP. Those two are different concepts. And as such, I think that that was the, the reason that these two different reservation types existed in Colibri at the beginning. That is, by the way, different in Helia. That's Helia is kind of very new. Colibri existed maybe for six, seven years already. So we've been doing things with Colibri for six years, seven years. And Helia... Sorry to stop you, Juan, but could you explain what Helia is? Yeah. So Helia is a different approach. It has definitely some similarities to Colibri but it's not exactly working the same way. The idea of Helia is to be able to remove one of the steps. So to be able to actually remove one of these control plane steps and just create, for instance, segments that they are called flyovers. And a flyover is essentially the right to traverse an AES from an ingress to an egress. Uh, The requester asks that specific AES, I'd like to traverse you from ingress I to egress E, uh, using this amount of bandwidth. And then once they have this right, and a number of these flyovers, essentially the uh, source host can send data directly. There is no further control plane. We have some challenges there, and there is um, definitely a different set of properties that we get from Colibri when it is used with a long, long-spanning segment reservations. Yeah, that those are different uh, properties and uh, some of them are, I mean, the, the concept of Helia being able to use directly by the end hosts these tubes is amazing. That would allow, for instance, to directly browse the internet just directly without even making a request to get the bandwidth because your ISP would know already that it can do that for you, which is a very desirable property, as we mentioned before, because anything that you can download, knowing how much bandwidth you have, will just function better. Just, you don't need to find out 
back off and, and know how much bandwidth can I use to download this image. You made a good point about monitoring that I wanted to discuss further, given in this podcast we focus on monitoring and measuring the health of the internet. When you're talking about quality of service, monitoring is obviously paramount for making sure things are working as they should be and adjudicating when something goes wrong. Can you share some detail of the monitoring system within Calibri? I think in our way of seeing how SLA enforcement would work or monitoring would work, we would need to have the concept of a path and then being able to declare packets that follow a path and they must follow that path and no other. We have also different path types in Scion, but we're not going to dwell on those that will ensure that a packet traverses certain border routers. But for us, it is enough to say that it should follow that path, not that it did follow that path. Yeah. So the first thing that we have, for instance, in Colibri for monitoring is the two different types of monitors. The type of monitor deterministic is the one that the source AES of a traffic must follow, meaning that they cannot let one packet escape if that packet violates the contract, yeah? not even that one packet or that one flow, to be uh, a bit less precise. And those happen only at source of those of the traffic. Even for transit ASs, they must deterministically monitor only the source of their traffic. But the more um, cumbersome or problematic monitoring is the one that happens in transit ASs, in particular in the core network, tier one and so on, where um, we just don't have all the state necessary. It's just impossible to monitor all, all these. Even with the concept of having these segment ASs, there might be too many. Yeah. What we have decided is for now, we need to have a probabilistic monitoring in that we have two stages. The monitor probabilistically checks or aggregates, let's say, the way that it works is maybe not too important right now, but the outcome of, of the behavior of that monitor is, I believe with certain confidence that this flow or these flows may be violating their contracts. The good thing about this is, of course, that these monitors don't have any state. Everything that they require is written in the packet. So they, they don't need to have expensive memories or PhD DACs or anything like that. That's, that's can is not necessary. Directly in the packet, since they are processing it already, they take a look at the uh, flags for the um, allowed bandwidth, the MAC fields and all that. The only state that they do contain is this aggregated, let's say, buckets, different buckets. And they aggregate those in several rounds and at the very end give a... Um, a sentence and saying this flow is fine, this flow is not fine. You should take a look at that one more, you know, deterministically. And then and then the deterministic stage takes a look at that flow specifically for some amount of time, some more milliseconds and so on. And after that happens, then that's communicated to the control plane by whatever mechanism internal that we have a mechanism, but the AES could decide to have another one. And then the control service knows already that these MAC fields and they can check internal into their database more slowly. But they can, from that point onwards, they cannot remove those reservations because they were approved already, but they can definitely stop granting reservations to the end host that use them. And since I didn't mention about the end host, the control plane or the data plane duration for the end-to-end reservation is only 16 seconds. So they can abuse that reservation for 16 seconds. Afterwards, they can be banned. It depends on the AS. But they can be blacklisted forever. They can be blacklisted to talk with the lawyers. or I mean, that depends definitely on how they do that. Yeah? That takes care of all the bandwidth violations. Now the question would be, all right, where do we sit those monitors? Because each one of the AESs must contain one. So when I, being an AES, I detect that a flow is being, it's just overcommitting traffic, I don't know anything but that I can drop it. 
That's the only thing I know. Because I cannot tell who was to blame. I don't know if it was my previous neighbor or if it was three neighbors ago. Typically, it would be my previous neighbor, but we cannot say. That actually brings me to a question as to how monitoring is standardized within this system, given that in many cases, networks have different perspectives of the path. Does Calibri allow for a more holistic approach? The first thing that was one of the requirements is that packets follow a path. The second requirement is that packets have to be cryptographically, I don't want to say signed, but would you have to be able to prove cryptographically that the source created that packet, or all these things. And we have the problem of duplicate detection and all this, but just removing those special cases. With science, since we have, just imagine the graph, we have now the ability of saying this flow or this AES created traffic here, 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 here. Okay, that can be sent to a central authority. It doesn't have to be central, but it could be regional authority. This guy consistently violates Colibri contracts. I want him to be removed. I want him to to actually just erase his AS number from the internet because they they don't know how to follow the rules of, of the internet, essentially. That can be done. The thing is that we have not envisioned how that will be done or how ISPs and ASs would like that to be done. I don't think that the idea of a certain certain central brokerage for these logs and things like that would be extremely good because it's I mean we're talking about traffic as well, yeah. So but um maybe regionally or maybe only I don't know, maybe they can be provided as requested by a judge or by a lawyer. I have no idea. But it technically can be done. It sounds a lot like manners, the mutually agreed norms for routing security, so it's the community coming together and agreeing on the rules of routing securely. If you break these rules, whether it's once or twice or ten times, then you're out of the community. Is this something which is being considered as part of the marketing plane of Colibri? We don't know exactly how to do that. You don't know exactly how businesses do that. And uh, we are not in a position to say how the internet has to be governed, for instance. We have certain idea of how neighboring ASs may stop relationships if contractual obligations are not met. So we are trying to follow that uh, same spirit and uh, give the tools, or at least the technical tools, to prove that your neighbor is actually not following the rules. Uh, that for us is enough. Then however the ASs want to organize that, or the internet, or APNIC, or ITF, or we don't really know how that will pan out at the very end. But the first thing is definitely to be able to do it, and that's what we're trying to provide, and the uh, tools and the, the ability of being able to provide those things. All right, let's return more to the research and application, particularly the amazing results that you've been able to achieve, a bait still in testing stages, but impressive nonetheless. For instance, you've been able to authenticate and forward more than 34 million packets per second at more than 270 gigabytes per second with 1KB packets of reservation traffic on a 16-core Comidity server. Can you talk about this and other applications where you're getting these once seemingly impossible results? So what my group is trying to do is essentially change a bit of the internet. So we have to be able to provide an easy path for the transition. We cannot just say, tomorrow is going to be a change day, just raise your flags, and we're just going to start using science instead of anything else. That would be completely crazy and realistic. We actually don't want that. That being said, science, not Colibri, but Scion has been, the data plane and the control plane has been prepared, has been designed with scalability in mind. 
since the beginning, since uh, 12, 13 years ago. So the first things that they were able to do is to send millions of packets per second, just using a regular PC with uh, maybe eight cores, a couple of NICs. That should be enough. The problem with the data plane is definitely if you want to have it cryptographically secured, that you need to use symmetric cryptography. You cannot definitely go into RSA or anything like that or lift the curve. It's way too expensive to do that, at least per packet. So what we do is to use AES for the cryptography, and then we create these message authentication codes that are created from a secret key that only the border router knows that in turn is derived from a public key. And we have key rotations and things like that. The same happens for Colibri. We've been putting some even further emphasis at the moment into the um, Colibri header into trying to make it even faster if we can that time. Because since we are right now a research project, we have the luxury of doing these things. And uh, that's what we are trying to do. Actually, that result was with a different, with a different header that uh, we are modifying right now. So it could be a bit faster at the moment. We have not run experiments, but we believe it should be a bit faster than that. It also relies on the same magic. It relies on, on having symmetric cryptography. So it's essentially the same spirit that what China is doing. And that's, that's the thing, that we have this fast key rotation, but they are symmetric keys, so we can use them very, very at line rate directly in the border routers. And this is just a PC. This is just an AMD with 16 cores. I mean, this is no, no, no magic. We're just using, of course, the dedicated uh, Intel DPDK technique, because otherwise it would be too difficult to move memory around. But those are just, let's say, engineering tri- t- tricks or techniques. But the, the real mystery is the symmetric key. In a way, it's like how you can make a car go quicker by reducing its weight and friction on the road. You're trying to take away all the cruff and weight associated with all the protocols that the internet is built on and, in essence, opening up the tubes to make it frictionless. And a lot of that has to do with the security, which Cyan has hardened but at the same time streamlined. So it's like we have the two approaches. The bottom-up approach would be, let's take a look at the data plane. I need this to work as efficiently as possible. And the top-down approach would be, I need to be able to share public keys. I cannot only work with symmetric keys. I need certificates. How do we marry both things? It's just, the, for instance, the PKI that we have in Cyan. That's essentially the reason of existence of this control plane PKI, to be able to provide a data plane with a fast path to authenticate packets. So we've talked about the results you've been seeing in the lab, but now you're looking at making the leap into the real world, and Calibri is looking for those real-world networks to partner with. That's correct. We are very happy to welcome any collaboration with industry, with Academy as well, definitely, but with industry is that we have just less chance to collaborate with them because our natural world is the Academy, so we know it's just easier for us to, to form a partnership with other universities. With industry, we are... There are some things I cannot talk about, but we might start soon to prepare a program of deployment for Colibri. So that's also the reason that we are preparing now demos and we are like freezing version one of the header. That will be the first version that we'll have for Colibri. So that's why we also put in like extra effort to be sure that it will be fast, that we cannot improve certain things that we have seen. Those could be improved. And the, the idea is for this year to be able to record demos doing some kind of a uh, for instance, the DOS defense, yeah, being able to SSH into your own terminal no matter what's happening, being able to transfer records from your DNS server no matter what's happening, and so on. Yeah. That would be just one of the things that you can do definitely with Colibri. We've done in the past some proof of concepts, for instance, for video calls, just how does it look like? Yeah. 
and it looks awesome, I mean, essentially. We are looking also for a partnership with, in particular, IXPs uh, to talk about this market plane, how this would work, and um, what is their business model, how do they interact with their customers, how do their customers interact with each other. Can we get in the middle or can we just collaborate in that sense? And being able to transfer these reservations, these, these tubes, bigger or smaller ones and so on. What we'd like to have as well, you probably know that there is an effort right now going in the ITF about creating a first draft of the um, Scion standards. Well, those are not the standards, or those are the experimental. They are not experimental. They are the, um, how are they called? Informational. They're called informationals. Exactly. Informational drafts. And they, um, hopefully, they will be ready soon. Our next idea is be able to do the same for Colibri. But for that, we'd like to talk to industry before that. As I mentioned to George before, we are not stubborn into what has to be done in the internet. We we definitely are hearing, in particular the industry, because there's been 60 years of experience doing this. I mean, we cannot we cannot just erase that. So definitely we we want to take a look at what's going on, what their mind is on how this should work, and get all that knowledge and try to accommodate it into what we're doing. And so that we can provide these tools for this to happen. The very end what we want to have is essentially my mother calling me without to max complexity and being able to have a uh, video call conversation without any uh, drops, any problem, and then just having a better function in the internet. Yeah? And for that to exist, we have to collaborate with the industry, definitely. So, so listening uh, to you please, talk if anyone it, wants to, I kept yeah. thinking about the prior art here, that as you said, it goes back 50 or 60 years. You look at a protocol like ST2, which was essentially an isochronous protocol. It was a time division, guaranteed bandwidth protocol. But it was intranet only. It was within one provider. If you look at developments like SCTP, it was almost there, but it didn't make it because it was technology, but with none of the qualities of brokering and economics. To me, the missing link here is that, first of all, cryptography comes to the table so that trust can emerge. And then you have SDN, software-defined networks. So you have knowledge that the ISPs in general know how to look into packets at wire speed and make routing decisions. But the real thing for me that's new here is the economic model. You're talking quite overtly about helping ISPs to understand how to broker bandwidth. Now, there's a saying in BGP that your policy, it reaches as far as you pay money. And that was the big problem in RSVP. No one paid money to third parties. Whereas in your model, this is precisely what you help broker. Is that fair? I think so. I think that's a good explanation of what's going on. So if in the 50s, 60s, ARPANET was designed with QS in mind already, and we got as a legacy a set of protocols that took QS into account, everybody joining the network must have followed that as well. So we must have created all the framework, the economic framework for this to work. Otherwise, it would not work, yeah? But that was not the case. So we tried to do QS and bandwidth reservations afterwards without knowing that this is a business. ISPs don't do this for free because it is expensive to do. You have experience, but you have also risks and so on. So we're trying to keep a balance here, essentially. We're not saying you have to do this for free because as we talked about before, adoption is critical for science as well. We are, we are trying to change something that works. I mean, the internet works. It's not that it's not working. We believe it can be improved, but it works. So we have to talk to industry and ask them, is this good enough for you? 
Is this your model? Do you talk only to your neighbors? Are you willing to sign contracts with China, even though that you live in Taiwan? Do you want to talk, um, you know, all these things? Is this possible? What is not possible? And then what is impossible then cannot be done. So that's it. We will not hit our heads against the wall trying to change the reality. That's a good point to make, that it's important to make these partnerships with the community as they will offer useful insight into making the system interoperable with the internet too. And at the same time, you're trying to open up the community's mind to show that things can be done better. They've all had ideas of it before and you're providing them the system that can make those ideas a reality. We believe. I mean, <laughs> the problem with all these things is that Proving something, it's close to impossible. We can formally verify our protocol. We can formally verify our code. That's a very strong component of Scion as well, formal verification. And that's an important part of what they're doing. Yeah, I think so as well. Like we have those formal verifications, so we can say that the protocol works. But how do we prove, formally or non-formally, that the deployment strategy of Scion works? We, we cannot prove that. We have to wait and see what changes we must do for it to, adopt, to be adopted, essentially. So um, that slowly but steady approach of science, being able to do a lot, but at the beginning you don't need to, that is critical also for Colibri, definitely. So if we want to have adopters, early adopters should have some kind of benefits from the very beginning. It should not be a hassle for them to adopt anything. And as well, they should have, maybe a lot can be done with Colibri, but we should be able to, or we should be ready to start very small, do something, to do something well, and later to see how this is evolving. Like protecting, for instance, financial institutions is a good, is a good point. We want to protect financial institutions, right? Protecting maybe core services of core networks against DDoS and so on, being able to... Uh, make rapid changes in the configuration in your network. Now with home office, pretty much everywhere, being able to, if we are locked down again into homes, I mean, I'm, I'm not far, my commute is very short, but people that have an hour of commute, I don't want to go, you know, have one hour of commute because my, my center is under attack and I have a problem over there and I cannot log in. That's crazy. Just being there to get access to a terminal, that's, in our opinion, that's crazy. And we, we understand that this is how it, these things work. Yeah, I've been helping some people who were forced in work from home to conduct Zoom classes for university on an assumption the bandwidth they had at home on high-speed domestic service was as good as the bandwidth they had from their office on campus. And they were so dissatisfied when they discovered how asymmetric that could be. They're mainly used to doing download at home. They're not used to emitting high bandwidth coming out in an asymmetric link. And it's those kinds of contexts where bandwidth reservation and brokering would be helpful, saying in advance, I need 20 minutes of contract time here with a guarantee of behavior. That's real value add. And I think ISPs get a value also from that perspective. They can offer not only because it's flashy and it's new, but it's also definitely because it is very useful. I'm, I'm willing to pay an extra premium if I can get that kind of service. Can my ISP guarantee that? You know, Maybe I get a billing afterwards. Like if I call right now with my cell phone, to China again, yeah, I'm going to get billed extra. because. But the possibility of being able to do it is very satisfying because I know I can do it. So that is an extra service, or a, we call it like premium services because right now they don't exist, that ISPs can, can take benefit from. But as we, we talked before, then 
that the money flow and the traffic flow or the bit flow go kind of in the reverse directions, they have to transmit that to the core networks. And the core network has to transmit that requirement for the money in the opposite direction. So that definitely has to exist as well. That's what we are trying to understand to make it right so that it works correctly and that ISPs, core networks, and so on are happy with this model. And that's why we encourage definitely industry to send us emails to start collaborations to start. They don't need to spend a lot of time or effort. Just get us your opinion on how things work right now in the QS space, for instance, and we'll try to accommodate ourselves. This is what we do. We do the research. So you guys don't need to do that. I think Calibri is in a really interesting juncture where you're breaking out of the lab and actually trying to find the killer app. And once that shows it works, the other dominoes start to fall. Until then, people are going to be skeptical, but there's nothing stopping them from collaborating and being a part of this conversation now. And hopefully that will allow what we all want, which is a faster, secure, and more reliable internet. There was a saying in Scion that my, uh, my director used to say that if there is a path, we must find it. So that's essentially what Scion is doing. Yeah. Colibri would aggregate to that. If there is a wide enough path, we must find it. <laughs> but that would be essentially the same thing. That's what we're trying to do. That's a nice way to finish. It's been a pleasure having you here on Ping One to discuss bandwidth reservation and the new or previously thought impossible possibilities that networks and systems like Calibri, Helia, and Scion are opening. We'll be sure to put links to relevant APNIC blog posts and research papers mentioned in the show in the show description. And I hope it's the first of many conversations that we have from you and the Calibri team. Thanks, Juan, and thanks, George. Thank you, Robbie. Thank you, George. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for letting me join in, Robbie. That was most enjoyable. Finally, this is my last show on Ping. It's been a pleasure hosting and producing the shows these past 12 months, and I hope you, dear listeners, have found it entertaining and thought-provoking. To which, if you've got a story or research to share here on Ping, get in contact via email, ping at apenic.net, or our Apenic social media channels. Also, remember to check out the new Measurement at Apenic mailing list to discuss and share relevant collaborative opportunities, grants and funding opportunities, jobs and graduate placings, and or seek feedback from either community on your research and measurement project. And be sure to check out the APNIC website for all your resource and community needs. Until next time.